Good morning, everyone. Welcome to NSPS Radio Hour. Here we are almost to Christmas in 2018. And uh, so we have a great Christmas package for you today. Uh, I have joining me Mickey Schmidt, who is with the NOAA, and his actual title is Division Chief Science and Geospatial Services at NOAA's Coastal Management Office. Welcome, Mickey. Well, thank you, Kurt. Great to be here. It was interesting as we were waiting to come on the air. I was listening to the previous uh, show, and um, I'm not. I hadn't. I hadn't listened to that show much before. I don't know if it's a new show or not. The guy's really interesting, though. But one of the things he said uh, was uh, more more data available on our phones now than what was available when they went to the moon in an easy way. I guess that that always blows me. That's not the first time I'd heard that. But <laughs> <laughs> Kind of blows me away to to think about it. You know that we use these uh, these pieces of equipment that are available to us now, just as if it's a normal thing, <laughs> and, yeah. and it's it's amazing, really. And I know you guys run into that that phenomenon and all the things that you do. That, that's, that's for sure. sure. Yeah, Every, and everybody everybody wants information very quickly these days. Oh yeah, yeah. And if you don't have it, then they're going to go find somewhere else to find it exactly so that makes the world i guess even more competitive and uh, but it's interesting for us to have this conversation today with you because we talk uh, about surveying all the time on the show and geospatial issues and pretty much anything that's associated to the to the surveying profession and and where you guys are located surveyors are pretty familiar with the overall entity um, maybe not so much with your office, and that's one of the reasons we want to have you on this week was to, to talk about what's going on in your office. So um, I guess the f- I want to get you, give you, have you a chance to give us some background uh, on yourself and your experiences, but um, w- one of the things I always hear is why surveying? So maybe as you're giving us your background, why geospatial for you? Are you like surveyors? Did you kind of fall into it, or was it something you planned all along? I don't know. So uh, please share with our audiences some information about yourself. Certainly. Um, again, really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you this morning. Yeah, I kind of fell into the field field myself. Um, it's hard to believe I've actually been in this game now 30 years. Um, I was actually studying in my undergraduate um, program of marine science when I took an elective in air photo interpretation in my junior year, and I discovered the world of remote sensing. So I, I was just, just fell into it and was very fortunate to study from uh, under Dr. John Jensen at the University of South Carolina for that and went, and went on and pursued my master's degree. Um, so I got a bachelor's and a master's both from the University of South Carolina um, and finished up in 88, 1988. And from there, my first job was with Teledyne Brown Engineering in Huntsville, Alabama, in support of the U.S. Army Strategic Defense Command. And within that job, I was using remote sensing to map areas of potential risk from launch debris from all, all of our missile uh, launch locations um, on CONUS as well as out in the Pacific uh, region. Uh, so I worked there for a few years and, and then landed a job with um, Lockheed Martin and Sword Up Technology in support of NASA's commercial remote sensing program down at NASA's Stennis Space Center. That's where I actually gained some of my most valuable professional experience and appreciation, actually, of working with private industry 
to develop products and services from geospatial data. I was there when the, the predecessors to Digital Globe, Worldview, and Space Imaging uh, were coming online. Um, I was there when airborne remote sensing systems and sensors, multiple sensors, were being developed, as well as when GPS satellites were beginning to come come into fold. So it was an exciting time to be involved and and play a small part in developing commercial applications of remote sensing and related technologies. It was so exciting, actually. In early '96, I decided to give it, give it, go out on my own and try a small business venture. And I say tried tried that because it didn't go, it didn't go so well. Um, but I, another significant lesson learned in my career and that uh, really learned that you can do a whole lot of work and not one bit of business. And so really gained that appreciation for the private industry in this field. Um, so um, I brought those experiences uh, with me to my current stop where in 1996 I landed a um, here at the NOAA Coastal, well, what was the NOAA Coastal Services Center, which was a new NOAA office formed in the mid-90s, and I was hired to manage and grow uh, our GIS program. So over 22 years later, I'm still here in Charleston, South Carolina, um, with what is now the Office for Coastal Management, as you had said, uh, where I have had the honor and the privilege of helping lead a talented group of professionals that are dedicated to making a difference to where people live, uh, where they work and where they play in our coastal states and territories. So I ended up um, into this field and uh, haven't looked back. Well, I have to tell you, I don't know very many people from South Carolina who don't like living in South Carolina. <laughs> Everybody I've ever encountered from South Carolina are, are really happy with what they do. Yeah, Charleston and where they, and where they are, for that matter. For that matter yeah. So. yeah, very fortunate to be in Charleston. So if you're at Charleston, then you don't have to get into the whole uh, South Carolina Clemson but debate, I guess, because you're a bit removed from that. So. Unless it maybe it maybe it it uh, goes across the state. I don't know, but I I know a lot. I have a lot of friends in both of those places. So. Yeah, yeah. Gamecock so. fans are very envious of Clemson right now. I'll tell you that. Yeah, they are, and and it's kind of funny in a way because for. So many years, I mean, Clemson was sort of an afterthought for, in almost everything, in sports at least. And, I mean, Clemson's a good university, of course, but mm-hmm. um, but then all of a sudden they got prominent in sports and have a great baseball team, as a matter of fact, um, mm-hmm. usually every year. So my grandson went there. Uh, actually, I think he went to Clemson to a baseball camp a couple of years when he was in high school and enjoyed it a lot. But uh, it's uh, it's uh, the whole state's pretty pretty cool place to be, except when the – the bad storms are coming, of course, across. That's the, right. So that's not so much fun. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, one of the things that's so interesting about what you're doing and and the, the part of the, the our world that you got into is uh, so many people in, and surveyors are familiar with NGS and and uh, you know the Office of Coast Survey and because we're kind of directly related to what they're doing and they provide a lot of support for us. They're not as familiar with the. Office of Coastal Management, though. Maybe you could tell us more about that. Certainly, yeah. Um, our office, the Office of Coastal Management, is is the nation's federal lead for coastal management activities. And and sometimes the term coastal management uh, itself is, is kind of uh, it's kind of nuanced or it's kind of broad, and, and, and it covers a lot. Uh, so coastal management is is something that 
covers the decisions, the actions to keep the natural environment, uh, the built environment, uh, the quality of of life for people in coastal communities and economic prosperity of our coastal areas all in balance. And so it's, it's, it's really really a mix of broad and challenging issues that we, we support our, our partners with. Um, communities uh, across our, our coastal, uh, coastal landscape are constantly grappling with the best ways to address uh, storm preparedness. Um, the erosion of our, our coastlines, uh, development, the balance of uh, development and habitat management, the threats of rising sea levels, uh, public access for people is a big issue in our, in our coastal communities. And then there's the threats to water quality and our infrastructure. And so, so as NOAA, as a scientific organization, we provide access to the uh, science and environmental intelligence coastal communities need for these tasks. And so as an office, uh, we have three, three priorities, and those are around healthy um, coastal ecosystems, uh, resilient coastal communities, and uh, vibrant coastal economies. And so those broad, broad issues, uh, we, we try to address, through, address those through uh, four major programs. So within the Office for Coastal Management, we have the National Coastal Zone Management Program. This is a, a partnership, a unique partnership between federal and state uh, agencies that provides the, the implementation of the coastal management policy set forth in the Coastal Zone Management Act. And we have currently 34 states and uh, U.S. territories have approved um, coastal management programs, and we fund those on an annual basis. Uh, the second of the four initiatives is our National Estuarine Research Reserve System, and uh, they lead the nation's estuary science efforts. Uh, this program produces research and provides environmental health data. They also have a robust science-based uh, training and education program, and there are 29 National Estuarine Research Reserves around the country. Uh, the third uh, major initiative we have is our coral reef conservation program, which provides science on managing, preserving, and sustaining the health of our declining coral reef ecosystems. And the fourth is, uh, I'm sure we'll get to um, in more detail in a little bit, but it's our Digital Coast Initiative, and which is both a website and a partnership serving as a a really a go-to place for sources of data, tools, and training most needed by our coastal managers. And uh, all, all of our constituents rely heavily on geospatial information to some extent for their coastal management decisions, um, but sometimes they're limited in their capacity to use and apply those, 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 those valuable information resources. So that's why Digital Coast was developed, and um, we'll get into that a little bit more. But just real quickly, um, much of what is delivered through the Digital Coast, at times we serve as data brokers, and, and this includes other parts of NOAA and NGS in particular and Office for Coast Survey. Uh, so we do a lot of coordination across uh, the agency and, of course, with NGS and uh, Coast Survey. And a lot of that falls under the general umbrella of what uh, your members and your listeners may be aware of, which is the NOAA Integrated Ocean and Coastal Mapping uh, Initiative. And so that's where we coordinate the planning and acquisition and dissemination of data. So we work very, very closely with uh, NGS's Remote Sensing Division. 
we serve a lot of their, uh, our, just about all their LIDAR data and a lot of their imagery through Digital Coast and through our office and also work pretty closely with Coast Survey on several issues. So it's a quick summary. That is a lot to do. <laughs> <laughs> now, is primarily all the work done within your office there, or do you have satellites that participate, or how does that work? Yeah, we yeah, we have an office. Uh, uh, we employ about 250 people, half of which are contract, half fed. We have primary offices uh, in different regions of the country, uh, primary in Silver Spring, Maryland, and here in Charleston, as well as uh, in northeast um, in the Great Lakes, uh, down on the Gulf Coast. We have office out in Oakland and, uh, and Honolulu as well. And so it's uh, all decisions are local, as I'm sure you guys know, and uh, it's important to have our regional folks out in the regions interacting day to day with the coastal management community. And so, uh, the fact that we have those those uh, significant grant programs to states and, and and enables us to be right there with them managing the resource on the ground. Right. And that works really perfectly for our first break, by the way. We are two seconds away, so let's go to our first break. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800 438 0387 or go to quickstake.com that's q-u-i-k-s-t-a-k-e dot com and order your samples ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today whether cruising the strip in a 57 chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 oldsmobile vista cruiser you need to tune in to classic cars with steve ronaldo and jim weber every saturday from eight to nine a.m. on america's webradio.com quick stakes does your survey supply dealer have quick stakes if not demand that they start carrying quick stakes did you know that quick stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Stakes, your bike-friendly stake. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to our second segment today with Mickey Schmidt we're glad to have you with us today, and, and just the conversation we had during that first session there with talking about the, the whole Digital Coast program, it's just hearing it sort of, not the first time you've heard of it, of course, but hearing details that you were sharing with us, it's it's almost mind-boggling when you think about it. Um, and it. And the first thing that came to my mind was, this is a really big job. How did they do this before computers and GPS and all those kind of things? That That must have been quite a a change, just like it has for all the rest of the surveying and engineering world, uh, for the kind of things you can do and how quickly you can do them. Yeah, that, there's no doubt. Uh, technology has definitely enhanced how we can make information available to local decision makers. Well, as I said when we were going into the to the show to begin with, um, a lot of our a lot of our people are going to be listening to this show will probably know the name Digital Coast. And NSPS itself, uh, through our advocacy side, of course, and has been very 
uh, a big advocate of, of the Digital Coast and what you guys do because we we understand how important it is to everybody, not just to us, of course. But uh, for for our audience, which are mostly going to be surveyors, I don't know if you have more detail you want to share about about the things that you guys are doing or why it's important to surveyors or, or those kind of things. Um, if not, then we can move on. I know you covered perhaps some of those in the first segment, but um, I'll give you a chance to talk a little bit more about that, if you wish, before we move on. Yeah, um, I would. Yeah, I can offer a few more um, details about it, and for those that may not uh, be as familiar uh, as you as you mentioned, um, you know, one one thing we get asked quite frequently when we the folks hear the the, the name of of the effort of the Digital Coast, and they ask, well, what is what do you mean by the coast? And and sometimes it's confusing because there's parts of the agency that just focus right on that coastline, and, and that's what NGS does and Coast Survey for safe navigation and critical. Um, well, we we kind of expand that, that reach of the coast. Um, as I mentioned, we fund 34 coastal states and territories for their coastal management program. So we really geared the digital coast to provide information for those all those states and uh, territories and their water, their complete watershed. So we focus on a geography from inland up to coastal watersheds, out to state and and even federal waters, out uh, to the exclusive economic zone. So, so the geography of Digital Coast is a little broader than one might may um, may think. And as far as Digital Coast itself, how, how we define it, a uh, couple of key words in it. You know, we define it as a constituent-driven enabling platform. Uh, that's that's designed not to only provide the data to folks that need it, uh, but also the tools and the training to integrate those data and apply them to address their issues. And so the key words there, constituent-driven, um, by, that, by that I mean we are constantly listening and working with our users and changing the platform to better meet their, their evolving information needs. We meet regularly with a core group of, of organizations that I'll talk about um, maybe a little later. Um, so it's 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 constituent driven. So we feel confident that we're meeting user needs, and 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 that is an enabling uh, system, an enabling platform that um, does more than just point people to the data. They are critical. They're the foundation to everything that's done. Uh, but we augment those those data streams with uh, the context, uh, the guidance of uh, how to apply those data through training and technical assistance. So so for us, it ensures use and application of the geospatial data that that's provided. When when we envisioned Digital Coast now over eleven years ago, there was there was a large cry from from the community around the need for simpler data access. And as you know, as we were just talking about, there there's so many sources and information's everywhere and, and lots of websites available. But what we continue to see and hear from our user community is what Digital Coast is doing, and what we kind of kind of call the secret first secret sauce, is, is is that it's a model of enabling those users to integrate those data. As I said, visualize it, and then have have the, the training there to apply it. Uh, most of our uh, downloads, uh, data downloads, are, are just that. They, people come in and they want authoritative data and. About 70% of the folks that come to Digital Coast are downloading data directly, and those are the folks that know how to manipulate the data. Those are the folks that want to crunch it into their own applications. 
Um, however, there's a broader user base out there, and that other 30% are made up of elected officials and local decision makers who they don't have the capacity or the resources to crunch those data. So that they, they want things simple as a PDF with uh, a pie chart showing their demographics of flood risk or storm risk and to understand what their constituents need or are concerned about. And, and so what we really find um, as far as enabling here is that the platform is, has a continuum uh, from folks who come in who just want the data all the way out to actionable information for decision-making. And so that's sort of the um, enabling platform of that, and I guess the first secret sauce. And the second one is the partnership I alluded to, uh, which is really, it's sort of behind the scenes. When you go to the website, you don't see this, but it's actually um, critical to what we do and to the success of what we've or the things we've been able to accomplish over the years. We we formed our Digital Coast Partnership with a diverse group of NGOs right from the beginning to understand those those broad needs out in the community, and we meet with them regularly. Um, I just want to rattle off these for your listeners because um, just to gain appreciation for the diverse interests that we're trying to support. Uh, there are the American Planning Association, so planners around the country, uh, 40,000 members strong. Um, Association of State Floodplain Managers, about 18,000 members there, similar to, I think, your organization in size. Uh, the Coastal States Organization, which represent those 34 coastal programs. Uh, the National Association of Counties, representing the 3,000 counties across our country. The Estuarian Research Reserve Association, which represents those 29 reserves I mentioned earlier. NISDIC, um, the National States Geographic Information Council. Um, your members are probably pretty familiar with NISDIC. Uh, the Nature Conservancy and the Urban Land Institute, which is, been, uh, again, a, a, adds to our diversity as, as far as having uh, the finance sector, the real estate sector, um, and the insurance sector represented through that group. So these organizations represent um, well over 100,000 folks from around the country who, who give us feedback on Digital Coast uh, activities and contribute content. Um, and you know, the issues that we're trying to address and that they see as priorities are around what I mentioned earlier, the flooding issues, the infrastructure planning, marine planning, um, shoreline management, habitat mapping, resilience, um, and the list goes on. But uh, the last thing I kind of want to mention and, you know, in relation to NSPS is, you know, in addition to the, the partnership we have with these national NGOs, is, is there's another coalition of external organizations that have been, like yours, that have been very, very supportive of the Digital Coast and, and just want to express uh, our appreciation uh, for, the, for the support of that coalition as well. Yeah, well, it certainly is important. One of the things I was thinking about as you were mentioning the the constituency base and how, how broad it is, um, and even to the point of giving data to local decision makers and what have you, I'm just curious how how much of a challenge is it to be able to speak to all those constituencies in a manner that they actually can understand. I, I know that that's even a challenge for us in surveying. So I, I know it has to be for you guys to have such a broad spectrum of people that you're dealing with. Yeah, and, and actually the reason we formed the partnership is, you know, as an office, we tried to 
we were trying to support so many people and we just didn't have the resources to do it. So we formed that partnership actually to have the national organizations be that conduit to their members. And so we, we you know, the fact that we meet so regularly with with these these organizations and uh, survey after survey of their mem they help us do surveys of their members to understand their requirements and their needs and um, that's the way we you know, try to stay in touch. We know we can't solve everybody's issues, um, but if we can address the priority issues of these organizations and their memberships, we're going to hit a, a very diverse group, and um, that's, that's, that's the way we try to overcome that challenge. Right, and you were talking about the being able to download the authoritative data, and so I, I'm, I'm assuming that, that applies to anybody. If you have a local surveyor in South Carolina, for example, that needs data, they have an opportunity to to get to that data as well. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I'd say well over ninety nine and a half percent of the data on digital coast is publicly accessible. Um, there's a few a few data sets that we acquired away you know, years ago that had some proprietary nature to them and they're licensed. Um, but other than that, uh, almost all the data are available. And um, if if someone needs to access digital coasts and just Google Digital Coast is the first link that pops up, and then there's several ways to uh, for users to access uh, the data the data there. Um, you can search by keyword, you can search by geography, you can search by um, location, geography, um, and then there's there are, there are several a couple of primary data access sort of um, web services uh, users can can get to. Yeah, with with such a broad spectrum of people um it it just it seems overwhelming to me <laughs> to be able to to gather data and then the, i guess the other the flip side of all of that is data acquisition like you, mm -hmm. you were talking about utilizing i guess people in the private sector too part of the time to to gather that data as well and and prepare it i would assume absolutely yeah the, the private sector plays a critical role in collecting the data that we serve up um we have um a, a contract in place. Uh, we've established actually, it's called the Coastal Geospatial Services contract. We first established them in 2005 and we're in the middle of our, our, our third round and we rely considerably on the expertise we access through the contract uh, to acquire many of the resources actually found on Digital Coast. Uh, not just the data, but uh, there are other, um, other resources as, as well. And um, yeah, just, I don't know. Uh, go ahead. I don't know. If you think your members? I mean, I can go into a little more detail on the contract as well, if you'd like. Yeah, we can do that. We're um, about a minute from our next break, so maybe we'll pick that up when we come back. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. But uh, yeah, I think they would be interested in in hearing about that as well. And uh, some, as you know, our our members are pretty diverse too. We've got everybody from the guy who does lot surveys in his local town to people who do work all over the country or the world. So just right. like any other organization, we're pretty diverse, and some people will have a, an interest and a need, and, and others um, uh, from the procurement side or the data gathering side, not so much. Uh, but I certainly see the, the application of the data that you have to pretty much anybody into surveying, particularly in today's world, because, you know, this People don't really survive very much if they only do one thing in the survey world these days. So having access to this type of data is really important. So let's go to our second break, and when we come back, we'll go back and talk about that uh, that contract aspect and uh, 
and the whole idea that the digital coast is a project. So we'll be right back. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800 438 0387 or go to quickstake.com that's q-u-i-k-s-t-a-k-e dot com and order your samples ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today whether cruising the strip in a 57 chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 oldsmobile vista cruiser you need to tune in to classic cars with steve ronaldo and jim weber every saturday from 8 to 9 a.m on america's webradio.com quick stakes does your survey supply dealer have quick stakes if not demand that they start carrying quick stakes did you know that quick stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Stakes, your back-friendly stake. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Mickey, as we were going to break, um, we were talking about a lot of different aspects, and you were going to mention something about... uh, maybe some basics on the contracting side that you were talking about. Yeah, we've been very, very pleased and uh, with our, our contractors on our coastal geospatial services contract. And so I kind of wanted to give a quick summary for folks if you're, if you're interested. I mean, you can find this information on the website as well, our website. But um, just the basics of the contract itself, it's a, it's a FAR Part 36 A&E contract, and we have five prime contractors currently. And they they actually give us access to uh, over a hundred subcontractors uh, through through the vehicle. So the five primes that we have on the, on the contract right now are Dewberry, Food Rodeo Spatial, Quantum Spatial, TetraTech, and Wolpert. And these firms provide a, a variety, a broad range of services. Uh, and we've kept it broad on purpose because of the expanded. Um, mission we have, as I explained earlier, it's pretty broad. And so data acquisition is a primary part of this contract. And so we, we uh, our, our, our private partners provide everything from LIDAR to satellite imagery to hyperspectral video, acoustic, uh, UAVs, um, uh, all kinds of data collection. Uh, we also have a range of services around mapping and thematic mapping. So collect the data, but then also help us with our land cover mapping, for example. Um, we um, have uh, uh, services available to us for photogrammetric mapping and orthophotography production, as well as surveying control services. Um, and then a broad range, uh, we just throw in GIS services to enable uh, just about anything geospatially to get accomplished through this vehicle, and um, including uh, training as well as cadastral mapping as we need it. So, so it's. It's a it's very broad, and you know, as I mentioned, coastal organizations need a, a broad range of geospatial data and services, um, and we can get get access to those serve those those primes and their teams to get um, a lot of work done 
and something a little unique with our vehicle is that we have um, the ability uh, to work with partners in the, um, in the federal government, but also state and local governments to put money uh, on this vehicle. So we have many um, uh, agreements in place with, with various states and agencies. Uh, it takes only a few months to set up an agreement where the, that entity can move money to us. We park it. Uh, we don't take anything off the top of it, and we move the full amount to the acquisition of whatever service is needed. And it's something our state partners, for sure, and a lot of our local partners have taken advantage of um, to not have to go through the process of establishing their own RFP and going through that because we have such qualified firms to do the work. And if folks are interested, uh, we set up those agreements and uh, people move money through our vehicle to get the job done. And, and so a lot of our partners are very happy with that service we provide. Yeah, I can imagine it, and I would assume that some of the contracts at least are the ones that are, uh, for lack of a better term, I would say standby contracts, which is kind of an on-call kind of thing rather than every time a project comes up, you have to do the whole thing again. Um, Correct. I would, I, I'd assume at least some of them are like that. Yeah, so we set up we set up a broad uh, agreement in place, and then for every task underneath that agreement, we do addendums. And I got it. It, okay. it actually can move through pretty quickly once you have the, you know, we worked this process out uh, over a decade ago with our contracting office. And um, whereas, you know, paperwork is getting more and more on our end, it's increasing just because of the nature of business. But the process itself, to get an agreement, is generally three months, and then we can get money moving in a month after that. And... And that's definitely a lot faster and efficient for a lot of folks who don't have the resources to do their own solicitation. Right. And just one other quick question on the, on the contracting deal. I can envision um, projects that are really broad in not only in scope but maybe in size in mm-hmm. some cases. Um, so do you ever run into a situation where, yeah, you've, you've got all this data together in a certain area and then somebody comes back and says, I really need this right here. Um, this gives you the opportunity to go back and find that if it wasn't in the original data set or whatever, if I'm imagining that correct. Yes, sir. Yeah, and we coordinate well with USGS and the 3DEP program, so we're, yeah. we're, we're, we're leveraging off of each other. If we have a collection going on, we let them know if they've got a collection, we try to piggyback off of their, their collections. And, you know, you know, we're trying to avoid that duplication, um, but also the, keep the spec uh, consistent amongst the, the programs and acquisitions, and um, which which I'm sure many of folks users know that you, know, you get one data from one county to the next. Sometimes it doesn't align, and we want to make sure because of our ability to align those acquisitions. Yeah, that's that's a challenge in lots of different ways, even down to the the local surveyor trying to use the data, you know, getting those, right. that data that matches so that you can work across lines, so to speak. And so I, I don't want to take up a lot more of your time on contracting, but I do appreciate you talking about it. Um, you had mentioned that the Dews Coast is a project, not actually a program. Can you refine that a little bit for our audience? Yeah, I, I'm glad you asked this. It's, it's a um, it, it's a subtle distinction, but one um, in that the Digital Coast project activities are resourced under the Office for Coastal Management, Management's budget line. So there's not a, there's not a, set, a designated separate uh, formal government program at this time. And 
So at, at some level of discussions, this is an important distinction between a project and a big, say, a big P program, uh, and can be confusing. Uh, to others, it's, it's just trivial. Um, but it is, it is a distinction that, in certain circles, that it's important to note that you know, we, we, we use our base resources to uh, fund the Digital Coast Project as it is, and it's not an official program. So do you, you were talking about jurisdictions. Do you find instances where um, maybe a number of jurisdictions in, a, in an area that have an interest for data would, would like, pool funds or do a joint project, or uh, are the projects just big enough on their own that that, that doesn't happen? No, we actually do pool um, in, in certain areas for sure. We've, we've had a couple of really, really good success stories in even the state of Georgia, actually out in the Pacific where it's really expensive to acquire data. So uh, we've done big projects out in Hawaii and the big island of, of Hawaii and also now coordinating the uh, leveraging funds uh, out, all the way out in the Central Mariana Islands and way out in the Pacific. And it's just really, really expensive. And, and you know, for, for our office, who doesn't have a large acquisition budget, uh, the, the fact that, say, we can put up a couple hundred thousand dollars for um, an acquisition out out, out, out there. Uh, we put that out to our federal partners and other groups. And you know, um, like for the Hawaii project, we had 200, and we raised almost 2 million um, because folks all had a general interest and in, and in not to duplicate, but didn't have enough money on their own for that acquisition. So we do a lot trying to coordinate uh, and rub our nickels together. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. So. I'm maybe getting a little off topic here, but I'm curious about this. In terms of the, the workforce, so to speak, um, obviously you guys have your workforce and you're coordinating with so many different people trying to get so many different things done. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. So does the does the impetus for for how things move along come more so from the ground up, so to speak, and what people are needing, or is there more of it from the perspective of, uh, looking from the satellite view of of the work to be done to say you know here's here's ways that we need to figure out to get data that people are going to need and so here's kind of an overall plan versus the 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 local group or the local conglomerate or even if local means several states at a time or something I'm just curious if if there's a big difference in that or or is it more one way or the other yeah that's a, that's a great question Kurt um we're definitely driven by those national and big, big efforts. They're, they're, that's part of what we try to coordinate and leverage with. But for our office and for the Digital Coast, we really are focusing on that user need that you mentioned, and those are our drivers. Um, we began this effort uh, looking for that, that, that niche, that, that particular issue that all those, those external NGO groups I mentioned to you had a common need for. And it, it, it began and center, centered around the issue of coastal inundation, and all right to do so. Then to do appropriate inundation modeling and mapping and planning, what do you need? Well, you need accurate elevation, as your community definitely knows. But how do you acquire that and get that for the entire country? Well, you know that's that's right now um, on a cost-effective basis for our perspective. It's it's lidar, and and so we started doing that, and we emphasized. Uh, trying to serve LiDAR data for everywhere we could. And then 3DEP has come along, which has really augmented that tremendously, and it's been a great partnership. But for us as an office, um, I mentioned earlier in the definition, we, we pride ourselves on being constituent-driven and, and what our users 
users want, that's where we're going to focus and, and try to focus our resources that we have on providing that information that, that appeals to their needs and, and address as many of those common needs as possible. Um, as opposed to just one individual, but try to try to hit that um, national need um, for many applications. You mentioned the, a number of um, uh, platforms that come along, if that's the right word, to get work done, and, you know, and how to how to gather data. And we look at it from the micro view down here as the local surveyor about how all that impacts our work, and mm-hmm. we're so astonished at everything that's available to us now. Uh, with with your longevity and this, uh, just seeing it from a different level of, of how much the overall impact is, that that must be pretty uh, amazing to think about as well. Just even more so than we can envision. Yeah, it's it's you know um, I mentioned earlier the workforce here. We're you know driven to make a difference, and and the ability to make a difference is there. Um, uh, we get good comments and and uh, kudos and suggestions for improvement uh they you know every day we we hear from from our users and um i'd say 90% are positive and thank you comments from the user community and and then others are you know kind suggestions for improvement you know and, <laughs> yeah and, that's and always we take true those. right yeah yeah and we take those and we we try to adjust where we can and, and some are just not in our mission or our purview and we'll hook them up with somebody else who's doing that and um but it's it's a it's a customer service approach and trying to meet those needs yeah well as as somebody who began surveying 50 years ago um and and looking back at that and you know using plane tables or cross sections or whatever we were doing mm-hmm. through the mountains or ever how we were getting our work done and then getting introduced to the whole area of photography thing and then you go on the lidar and and it, it's just absolutely amazing from the perspective of of one who deals with all of that but actually is more of a user of it than a user of the data I guess I should say um that's coming from some other source than yourself in, in the modern world. And it, it's it's mind-boggling, really, to think about that change. And I know 50 years is a long time, but still it seems like a really short time in terms of how much things have changed. So believe it or not, we're here at our last break. So let's go do that, and we'll come back. And we've got a couple other things we want to talk about and uh, share with our audience. So let's go to break, and we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Quick stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have quick stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying quick stakes. Did you know that quick stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick stakes, your back friendly stake. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. Please join us at 4 p.m. on Tuesday afternoons. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800 438 or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. 
You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Mickey, you were talking earlier about the whole concept of um, elevation change and sea level and all those kind of things. Um, maybe you can talk to us about the whole phenomenon of uh, of the rising sea level. Yeah, um, you know what we what we do through Visual Coast with that is visualize what's projected. Uh, we're not we're not offering any projections ourselves, but we take take what folks uh, have done at uh, the global level and and local levels and try to visualize those. So so folks have a, at least a, a perspective of what that would mean to their local communities. We deal with a lot of questions from the public. You know, is my house going to flood? And and so we can point them to some resources that say, well, we can't say it's going to flood, but you know, if it were to flood this much, here's what the impact would be. And so we, we try to uh, provide a service that, that folks can at least visualize or get a perspective of that. Right. And it's more of a this is what happens if kind of thing. Right. right. Yeah, that that makes sense. And then, of course, that gets into the whole discussion about subsidence and mm-hmm. um, that whole collection of that data. Yeah, subsidence. Um, now, um, I'm not an expert in the geology here, but what, I, what I'd offer right now is that from a NOAA perspective, our, our best estimate of local subsidence is captured by our NOAA tide gauges, which which are factored into some of our NOAA sea level rise trends data. And there's a, a website on the, uh, the NOAA tides and currents uh, webpage uh, called Sea Level Trends that I'd point folks to, and you can get really good, at least a visual and a map, uh, online mapping service that you can see what the trends are around around the country. But um, local local subsidence is probably one of, it is one of the most important factors for determining the amount of local sea level rise. So glo- global sea level rise measures uh, that you, know, you see maybe in the public, yeah, um, um, media and all that offer a very broad summary um, for everywhere, basically. It's global, but local relative sea level rise is, is happening at different rates, and in some places, uh, local sea level is actually going up due to uplift. So, for example, in, in Alaska, there's, there's uplift there. So um, there's measures that show that actually um, going the other way. Uh, but the more common uh, occurrence is, is contrary, and, and, and like in Louisiana, where they're experiencing three times the, the sea level rise due to subsidence subsidence rates. So, so there there is a significant need for more regional information on subsidence rates. And we can, uh, we can actually, I was going to ask you that question because yeah. with that difference in um, just looking even even from a local perspective to a broader perspective, I was curious about that that whole concept of. Does that mean you need to get data more regularly, or um, I don't? I, I would assume the the precision with which you gather data is probably pretty much the same. But mm-hmm. with it's with more, those that phenomenon you're talking about, it sounds like it would would require maybe more data gathering. Yeah, it's actually um, the tide gauges I mentioned. There's just not enough of them, and so actually you need more more data points, uh, uh, more more of those along the coastline, and and. Uh, Places like Hampton Roads, there, uh, Virginia, experiencing subsidence, and we know there's some work being done with NASA and, and IFSAR there. But 
but you got to have them have more measurements, uh, you know, along the coastline to really, really help. And I'd offer that if we had better regional and data sets on subsidence, we could actually use those, grid them, um, and help us mapping sea level and lake level change. And we could do better regional projections to improve the ones that uh, come out from those global and the national climate assessment, for example. So on that level, on the local or regional level in data gathering, do those mm-hmm. then become like multi-state projects or multi-locality projects, or how do those work? They could, actually. Uh, I, I don't know how they currently work. I, I just know from a NOAA perspective we have them at our our, our tight gauges. And the funding uh, to get those, I, I don't know, or who or um how that's being done uh, from a federal perspective. I would assume it's being done more locally right now. I just don't I don't know enough about the investments being made there. I just know having those data and having them um, constantly um, input into our models would make it better. So is there any incidence of, um, for lack of a better term, losing tide gauges that for whatever phenomenon might come along? Yeah, there's there's uh, every time a, a big storm comes, uh, we uh, have to put in requests to get funding to repair or replace um, some of those gauges that get destroyed. So um, there's a certain amount of funding uh, to sustain, maintain the current ones, um, and we we use what we have. And do those? Again, I'm probably getting into this too deep. I'm just curious about this in terms of getting the tide gauges in place, um, is that an initiative that's ongoing and continually seeking funding to, as you said, build up a, a bigger base of them, or does that just happen as people say, gee, we need more, or uh, maybe an incident people might say? Yeah. And, and if you don't know that answer, I don't know. I'm just curious about it myself. It's, yeah, uh, I'd have to defer, actually, to the tides and currents folks up in NOAA's yeah. uh, Center for Operational um, uh, programs there and measuring the tides and currents. I, I can find out for you for sure, but I, I don't know the answer. Right. But certainly the more data you guys can get makes your your ability to do your your mission, mm-hmm. um, I won't say easier to do, but provide you better information to work with, right? Absolutely. Yes, we would we would welcome uh, more, more subsidence information. So I guess the, the reason I'm asking that question is from an advocacy side. Mm-hmm. From from us, you know what mm-hmm. what is it that we as a and I'm not asking you to answer this question necessarily, but I'm thinking to myself, mm-hmm. what is it we can do as an as a, a an association and our mm-hmm. state by state associations and all those other people that we interact with as well as you do. You mentioned a, a whole group of people earlier that all different kinds of organizations similar to ours that are out there. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm just thinking to myself, is that something that would be a good and again not necessarily ask you to answer the question necessarily. I don't want to put you on a bad spot, but I'm just thinking to myself, gee, if we need more of this information, wouldn't that be a good thing for people like us who use the information to advocate mm-hmm. for at whatever level it is? And yeah. that seems reasonable to me. Yeah, yeah we, 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 we um, routinely ask and solicit what, what's needed out there. And as we see more and more folks asking for particular data sets, we, we try to find ways to provide it. So. Um, would welcome welcome that input. Well, I know that you guys do a conference. I don't, I don't know if you do it every year, but I know you're sponsoring one coming up with SFPM um, in Myrtle Beach. And um, 
I guess in terms of those conferences, that one in particular, since we're talking about it, but it uh, sounds to me as though there would be things there that would be of interest to and helpful to our members. Yeah, thank you. Um, thanks for the question. The next to the Digital Coast, Coastal Geotools Conference is my next favorite thing to talk about. Um, it's, a, it's another way our office feels like we're, we're making a difference for the coastal management community. Um, actually, Digital Coast, the concept for the Digital Coast was born at the Coastal Geotools Conference. So we began the series in 1999, and we're actually celebrating the 20th anniversary in February. And we hold it every other year. It's not every year, as you mentioned. It's every other year. And the past several years, we've uh, worked very closely with uh, ASFPN to host the event. So they, we sponsor it for them to host and manage manage it. We, we cooperate and manage the program with them and um, review all the abstracts. And um, it's, Coastal Geotools is uh, the only event I know, and there, may be, there are probably others out there, but it's the only one I know totally focused on geospatial technology and applications just in the coastal zone. It's right. totally focused there. And uh, as with any conference, we have our prime objectives of sharing emerging information or emerging technology information and the applications of data, how to address issues, and and also foster those public-private partnerships, uh, which are, are critical in our field, uh, I think, to success. And so for folks, if, if you're interested the, the, of attending just to get a feel for it, we average around 350 to 375 people from around the country that come to this event every two years. There's a pretty pretty good, um, I think it's a healthy uh, turnover of first-timers that come in. Sometimes about half the audience every year is somebody who hasn't been to one before, which is pretty cool. But we also have folks that have been there every every year since 1999, which is also very, very cool. Uh, the breakout is generally, uh, if I were to give you some numbers, it's, it's 30 to 35% private sector about 25 to 30% federal government, uh, and then 15% each for maybe academia and state and local governments, and then um, the rest, maybe some NGO participation and some a few international folks. Um, very excited about this coming event. I mentioned it's 20 year, but also we received a record number of abstracts. We had to turn away about 40 people that we just didn't have the programming to allow for. So we're anticipating hopefully a, a large uh, attendance in Myrtle Beach in February. The, the dates are February 11th through the 14th. Um, some of the sessions, uh, a lot of sessions are focused on uh, flood risk, uh, but there's also sessions on datums and DEMs and mapping with UAS. Uh, storm surge, high-resolution vegetation mapping, and, and we have a special session on 3DEP as, as well. And along that with this like, general... Go ahead. I was just going to say, that sounds like something we should uh, at least make notice of in our uh, in our newsletter. And we put out a weekly newsletter that goes to all okay. of our members by email. So we need, I'll, I'll get some information from you. We'll be happy to share that. Yeah, I will. Yeah, I'll um, send that to you um, when we get off. So there's, there's a couple of couple of activities at the conference that might be of interest as well. We have special interest meetings the first day where they're actually half-day half deep dives. It's not just general sessions. It's half-day half deep discussions into things like high-resolution land cover mapping, um, uh, looking to the future. There's the 3D, a 3D Nation uh, uh, special session there. 
there's a special session on how Digital Coast is helping with um, open space and analysis for the community rating system to help communities save money. There's a UAS session and, and uh, looking at water as a, an issue of, and working with the NOAA Water Initiative um, and the new water model uh, across the country. So it's there's some really, really interesting things on tap for it. Sure sounds like it. And we're in our last minute, believe it or not, so I want to make sure I thank you for joining me today. It's been great to have you on the show, and I know that this is a topic our our audience will be eager to listen to, even if they're going to do it after the fact. So uh, <laughs> it's just been great to have you. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to join me, particularly here right the week before Christmas. So uh, it, it's been great to have you on the show. I really do appreciate you doing it. Well, thank you again for the invitation. and. Um, and the opportunity to discuss what we're doing. And uh, um, I believe we're making a difference, and but we always can do better. And I'd like to extend an offer to any of your members. If you'd like to discuss these topics further, just feel free to send them my contact information. I'm happy to discuss and hope, hope I see them all at Geotools in February. That'll be great. Well, thanks again for joining me today, Mickey. I really do appreciate it, and I'm sure we'll be talking sometime soon. All right. Thank you, Kurt. You have a great holiday. Thanks. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com. That's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for QuickStakes today. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. Happy Oregon homeownership is the result of a good working relationship between the home buyer and their realtor. Make buying your Oregon home a fun and rewarding experience. Get our free guide to happy Oregon homeownership. Act now. Limited availability. Free at realoregonhomes.com. That's realoregonhomes.com. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed 
to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Obamacare is failing, but in order to get back on the right track with health policy, people need to be informed. ObamacareWatch.org is your resource to understand what's happening with this law and what you can do to stay active, stay informed, and make positive change happen. ObamacareWatch.org. Visit us now. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the America's Broadcast Network.